Blog Talk Radio. All right, well, let's get us a songbook out and let's stand together. And let's turn in our songbook to number 40 as we sing this morning, Are You Washed in the Blood? Amen. Number 40. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing fire? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His praises? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Let me hear you this morning. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul? day for us. The day of the Lord's coming. That's what the day is for us. 
And we ought to be more urgent about being in God's house as the day approaches. Amen. And I'm excited to be in God's house this morning. I hope you are too. I'm glad you're here. Amen. Pray for those who aren't. And uh, and pray for those, Lord, uh, Lord knows, maybe without a church home and they're watching us online because there's, there's people that do that. Amen. And they ought to come and visit and be a part of this and see it's good to be in, in a church. I know people get hurt different places. Sometimes people have been hurt in other places. But you know what? There are good churches. There are places where people love the Lord and they want to serve God and people got the right kind of heart. And this is one of them. And so I'd urge anybody listening to us this morning, come and try us out and see what you think for yourself. But for those here this morning, I'm thankful you got to church this morning. Amen. It's been a trying week, but thank God we made it. Hallelujah. It's Sunday. It's a new week starting over and going to do it in God's presence and going to do it with his word. And I'm excited to, to be here this morning with you. Prayer requests today. Do we have some this morning? Miss Charlotte? Yes, my knee. Your knee, okay. Praying for Miss Charlotte and her knee. That God will heal that, Miss Jackie. Okay. Lifting up your family in prayer. Anybody else? Okay. Yes, ma'am. We sure will. We sure will. Poor Bill has been a lot. Yeah. I'll get, I, I understand that for sure. We'll be praying for them. Somebody else? Anybody? Can't do a thing about it till we pray about it. Have you got any? Yes. All right. Any other unspokens this morning? Got all right. We've all got them. We all, all just hold our hands up. Throw both our hands up and wave them back and forth because, you know, we all got them. Amen. So let's just take them and lay them at God's feet this morning. And Robert... Lead us to the throne of grace this morning. Amen. You can be seated. away my sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Number 43. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
my pardon, this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this my plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the blow that makes me white as snow. No other bout I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the blow that makes me white as snow. No other that 
when we sang the third stanza. I wonder how many people sing that and realize that's talking about why we're living here. I think some people think and say, I bid farewell to the way of the world. They think they're dying or they're going to heaven. Bye, y'all. No, that's why we're here. That's why we're living this life. We tell the way this world operates bye-bye. We live according to God's will. Amen. That's what that's singing about. I thought I'd throw it out there in case somebody missed that. All right, let's turn to number 34. Number 34. Living by faith in Jesus above. I get there. <laughs> I care not what tomorrow may bring, if shadow or sunshine or rain. The Lord I know ruleth for everything, and all of my worry is vain. Living my faith in Jesus above, trusting confiding in his great love. From all harm's way, in his sheltering arms, I'm living my faith and feel no alarm. Though tempests may blow and the storm clouds arise, obscuring the brightness of life, I'm never alarmed at the overcast skies, the master looks on at the strife. Living my faith in Jesus above, trusting confiding in his great love. From all harm's way, in a sheltering arm, I'm living by faith and feel no alarm. I know that he safely will carry me through, no matter what evils beside. Why should I then care though the tempest may blow? If Jesus walked close to my side, living by faith, if Jesus above, trusting, confiding in his great love, from all harm's way, in his sheltering arms. I'm living by faith and feel no alarm. Amen. And when you live by faith and you trust the Lord that he's got you, he's got you. Amen. You need not fear. The Bible tells us, matter of fact, over in 1 Timothy, maybe it's first, maybe it's second. Either way, he said, for the Lord have not, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God wants us to, to not panic. God wants us to realize he's in control of this, and he's God to save me. No matter what day we live in, oh, yes, it's birthday. we got a birthday to take care of. I forgot about that. Happy birthday to you, 
we were singing to. But anyway, happy and happy anniversary. Amen. Praise God. What was the anniversary? Yesterday. Amen. Well, happy anniversary. All right. Praise the Lord. All right. Well, y'all pray for me this week. Yep, they couldn't find me. 
anyway, we're on there, so we got it on that, but now we're just coming on here. So if you weren't there, I was talking to you earlier and you missed it. So anyway, we're glad we're glad you joined us and hope that you'll be here with us in person someday soon. All right, let's get into this message this morning. And uh like I said, Galatians chapter two and uh to look at we we finished five verses last week. Okay, let's read those five verses so we set the context of where we're at. Paul has gone up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and he took Titus with him also, it says there in verse 1. And I went up by revelation, he went up to reveal to them the things that God had shown him, Christ had shown him once he got saved. He went up by revelation and communicated unto them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain, but neither Titus who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in who came in privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel continue with you. Again, let's remember what's going on here. The, the gospel has been given to the Gentiles. That's everybody in this room this morning. Everybody in this room, not a single one of us. I know Richard, his dad is Jewish, and so he's half Jewish, okay? But he's a believing Christian, so that, that means he's a Christian just like you are. There's no difference between Jew or Gentile now, okay? But understand that we're talking about we're talking about during the time of the book of Acts being written, there's a transition, and we went through the book of Acts to try to explain that to you, that it went from when Jesus uh, Jesus was on earth preaching and he was and John the Baptist before before Jesus' ministry was pointing to Jesus being the Messiah. And John baptized out there in the wilderness. He was baptizing, but he wasn't saying, Now you need to believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and gonna be buried and rise from the grave and once you believe that you get baptized. It wasn't that. He was telling them to to get baptized to repent and believe that Jesus is the, the Messiah is about to be here. That's what he was saying. He, that's the baptism of John. It was them believing that their Messiah had come, and that was him. They're going to believe on him. So you had people who believed who believed that then, and then you had then Jesus died. Okay, was buried, rose from the grave. Then you had early New Testament Christians who who were believing that Jesus died, buried, rose from the grave, and then you had a group of Jews who said, but wait a minute, y'all just going to throw our whole religion in the trash? Wait a minute, y'all got to keep these laws and you got to do things and eat kosher and, and, and you got to do everything. You got to be, all the males got to be circumcised. So you had spies coming to where Paul was preaching and sneaking into the bathroom to see whether or not Titus had had that procedure done. And that's what Paul was talking about there in verses 4 and 5. So we didn't put up with that. Kind of made him a little bit miffed, you know what I'm saying? He kind of got a little bit mad. Paul was not one to be trifled with, and I liked that about him. The man had a backbone in him. He wasn't a pushover. He wasn't a uh, professor, professor milk toast they used to refer to, rosewater squirting uh, preacher. He was, he, hey, he was a man, and he knew when something was right, and he knew when something was wrong, and when something went against God, Paul wasn't going to put up with it, and that's where we find ourselves this morning. You got a little bit of a hacked-off apostle this, this morning we're going to talk to or look at, amen? So, again, that sets the scene. So he's brought that before them. He's, tell, he's telling them, we're not tolerating that. We didn't put up with that when they come down there telling us these, these Jews who, who claim to be Christians but say you gotta, you're going to have to act like a Jew first, though you're Gentiles. And after you can be like a Jew, then you can be saved. Okay? 
So we're going to pick up this morning in Galatians 2, verse 6 through 10. I'm going to pray, and we're going to get into the message this morning. So let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I need you this morning. Help me this morning. I want folks to understand the doctrine, Lord, more than anything. I don't want to entertain. I want to teach. Please, Lord, help me to say exactly what ought to be said in the manner that it ought to be said. And I pray this morning you'll open the understanding of your people. Lord, give them a clear, uh, receptive mind to receive the things of God because these things are crucial that we know them. These things are crucial because we can take these things and share these things with others and save them uh, the, the miserable existence of burning in hell forever because they trusted something besides Jesus. Lord God, help us to speak truth always. Help us to realize how much doctrine really matters. And, Lord, help us to, to hide it in our hearts, lest we sin against God. Father, I pray, Lord, that you'll move in our meeting, that you'll speak to hearts. Lord, I pray, Father, you have your will and way now, and we want to give you glory ahead of time for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Whew. One of these days I ain't going to be able to get up in there. <laughs> Somebody help me, I think. Galatians chapter 2, verses 6. They're beginning in verse 6. Paul said, but of these who seemed to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person. For they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. Now, what is he saying there? These who seemed to be somewhat. It's kind of a backhanded compliment, kind of an insult almost. And you say, who is he talking about? He's talking about Peter, James, and John. The apostles? Yes. That's who Paul is referring to when he says, these who seem to be somewhat. For 2 Corinthians 11, verse 5, Paul said, listen to what he said, I, for I suppose that I was not a whit, that means a tiny itty-bitty bit, behind the very chiefest apostles. That's what he said. I, I, I wasn't a bit behind them. He said, verse 21 of that same chapter, he said, I speak as concerning reproach about people talking trash about me. He said, as though I had been weak, howbeit whereinsoever any is bold. If anybody else is bold in the Lord, he said, I speak foolishly, I'm bold also. You can say what you want to say about what you've been through, but I'm going to tell you something. I've been through it, too. He's saying, look here, I took punishment for Christ. Hey, thrice he was beaten with rods. He, he, was, he was naked and nakedness and peril in the water and perils of his own countrymen. Paul's been through it now. You can't talk about, oh, what, I've been through more than you. No, Paul said, I've been through it just like you have. So you ain't got that advantage. Hey, and guess what? Paul died, and God raised him back up. I think he had a little bit of advantage in the suffering category there. And, and he said in verse 22 of that same chapter, 2 Corinthians 11, he said, are they Hebrews, Peter, James, and John? Well, of course they are. He said, well, so am I. Oh, Paul was Saul of Tarsus. He's a Hebrew just as well. He said, are they Israelites? Well, so am I. He said, are they the seed of Abraham? Well, so am I. He said, are they ministers of Christ? He said, I speak as a fool. He said, I'm just talking stupid now. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just going on is what he's saying. I'm just babbling on here. He said, I am more. He said, in labors more abundant, I have, and, and he had. Paul had traversed more countryside, been through more troubles than any of them had. 
He said, he said, in stripes above measure, he'd been whipped and beaten by many people, more so than they had. In prisons, more frequent. In death, I thought I was going to die a lot more times than y'all did. So he said, listen, you can think what you want to think. Y'all thought, everybody thinks y'all are something. That's kind of what he's saying. Yeah. Again, don't take this the wrong way. Paul is not trying to attack them. He has been attacked. Paul's on the defense. Paul is just trying to say, listen, God called me to this ministry. I'm not puffed up. I'm not proud. I'm just telling you, if y'all are going to come at me like y'all are puffed up and proud and better than me, I've got things to tell you. Because I want you to understand, we're on level playing field. That's what Paul's trying to say. This playing field is pretty level right here, fellas. He's, and notice what he said. They seem to be somewhat. Everybody was treating them like they were really something else. He said, whatsoever they were, it make it no matter to me. I don't care what they are. Man, he's got a bad attitude. No, he didn't have a bad attitude. Again, he's standing his ground. You can stand your ground and, and do it firmly without having a bad attitude. Amen? I mean, nothing wrong. Listen, I, I'm all for standing your ground. Let's, let's take this down to the very essence of what it is. If somebody comes in and starts kicking in your door in the middle of the night, and you take your you take your 38 special, and you and they kick that door, and you go boom, 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 and you put holes in them, and they drop dead on your doorstep. Listen, you didn't come at them. You weren't attacking them. You were standing your ground and protecting your home. And protect, And all Paul's doing is standing on what God has shown him in his life. Amen? He's come into Jerusalem. He's come onto their territory. And here he is. You've got to understand, again, what he has been doing is offensive to the Jews. Why? Because he has gone to the dirty, unwashed heathen and took them Jesus. And that is a violation in their minds. Maybe not to Peter, James, and John like the rest of them, but he's trying, he's gone back to Jerusalem to try to get everybody to understand that God has now sent the gospel to the Gentiles. That's what all this is about. Okay? So, he said, whatever they were, it didn't make no difference to me. He wasn't impressed by the fact that they had walked with Jesus. Because, listen, he had seen Christ. Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. He spent time with the Lord over on the backside of the desert being taught by him. And certainly he had every advantage over them according to the flesh, whether, we, whether you realize that or not. Paul had more advantage than any of them had. In 2 Corinthians five sixteen, the Bible said, Wherefore, Paul said, Wherefore, henceforth, from this point on, we know man, no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet henceforth we know him no more. He's saying, listen, we're saved. We ain't what we used to be. Ain't none of us what we used to be. I'm not going to spend time with you according to the way we were before we came to Christ. What we used to be don't matter. It's what we are now. And that's all he's trying to say there. He's saying, listen, whatever y'all was before, whatever y'all are, listen, that's fine, great, well and dandy. But listen, we're all on level ground. He said, for God accepteth no man's person. Do you know that? God, God ain't gonna, it ain't going to matter where you come from. I don't, it don't matter to God how much money you have. It don't make no difference to God how many friends you have on social media or in real life. God doesn't care where you were born. He doesn't care what your mom and daddy did for a living. God, it, it's, not, it's not necessarily important to God how good you did in school. Do you know what matters to God? 
All that really truly matters to God is whether or not you've been washed in the blood of his dear son that he sent for your sins to be paid for. That's what matters to God. Once that happens, you are his child, and then a whole new world opens up for you. And what you were before you came to him, it is not even important. God accepteth no man's person. Again, all that matters is have you the key to heaven, which is the blood of Jesus Christ. Have you salvation? Do you have that? And listen, and, and those who expect God to be impressed and accept them on their person, because I, I can't tell you, folks, I can't tell you, I, I can't even begin to comprehend the number of people that I have talked to since 1996 when I surrendered to the gospel ministry. How many people I have looked in their God-given eyeball and they've looked in mine and said, I'm going to heaven, I'm a good person. It would astound you if I could somehow come up with a number to tell you an exact number. How many people have told me that? And even though I shared with them that no good person gets into heaven, it's only by the blood of Jesus Christ that a person gets into heaven. I don't care what you belong to. I don't care how many times you've spoken tongues, how many times you've been baptized, how many churches you belong to, how many different versions of the Bible you have. I don't care how many hymns you can sing. None of that means doodly squat. It ain't going to get you into heaven. Only the blood of Jesus. That's all. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You look at the you, you look at one man on one side of Jesus and the other man on the other side of Jesus. Do you know that the man on this side he didn't pray? Uh, you know the man on this side he didn't pray. You know the man on this side he didn't go to church. The man on that side didn't go to church. He didn't have a church membership. He didn't have a church membership. He didn't get baptized. He didn't get baptized. He didn't do good, do good works. He didn't do good works. He went to heaven. He went to hell. What's the difference? One said, remember me today. He believed on Jesus. That's all. That's the only way you get in. It didn't make no difference where either one of them come from. All that matters is where they were going. <clears throat> what in the world would any of us ever hope to impress God with? How would we ever dare to stand in God's presence and say, well, you just don't know who I am. You just don't know what I've done. How dare anybody think for a second they're going to have the gall to stand before God Almighty with an attitude of who they are. That ought to make people fall on their face and repent and cry and weep and wail before God. God have mercy that I ever felt that way. Because I can tell you right now, it's going to be like that when they face him. It'd be better to do it now, wouldn't it? Get it right now than have to face him in judgment at the great white throne judgment on their faces before the angels pick them up and pitch them into the lake of fire forevermore? I think so. Today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your heart. Amen. So he says, God accepteth no man's person. Romans 2.11 says, that there is no respect of persons with God. First Peter 11.17, and if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to to every man's work. Let me tell you something. He's going to look at your work and he's going to say, you don't measure up. And the only way that anybody, again, it doesn't matter what you've done, he's going to look and see if the blood's been applied. And if you had, the blood hadn't been applied, then he'll judge you according to your work. And guess what? You don't, want, you don't measure up. Guess what? You bought yourself a ticket into hell. Preacher, that's horrible. Yes, it is. And that's why everybody ought to be saved. Amen? There is no respect of persons with God. Amen? And he says, 
And listen, he goes on to finish that verse. He says, if you call on the Father, and then the in-between says, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work. If you take the first part of that verse and put the last part on it together, it says, if you call on the Father, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. If you understand that God, hey, God is not a respecter of persons, then you will understand that we're all equal and we all must serve God. Ain't nobody going to have an advantage. And he says, spend the time of your sojourning, which means the time of you passing through this strange land down here we're on in fear of the Lord. That's what it means. Can I tell you something? Put this, put this in your memory book. Those who kneel before the Lord stand before any man. Let me say that again. Those who kneel before the Lord can stand before any man. Amen? When God's on your side, doesn't make no difference what man's going to say or do. All right, let's keep going. And he said, those who seem to be somewhat in conference. Again, we ain't got out of verse 6, but that's all right. Those who seem to be somewhat in conference. So he went, he took them aside, he met with them privately. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, big, a big gathering. It was, it was some, but it wasn't a great big gathering. But again, that seemed to be somewhat, it keeps sticking in my crawl. When men are looked at as, as they're greatly esteemed, people say, oh, he's such a great man. Oh, what a great guy he is. They hear that talk, and it's very important that they are careful to remain humble. It has ruined many a good preacher. Praise has, because they can't handle the praise, and it goes to their head. I'll share this with you real quick. But I heard this years ago, and I probably told it, and most of you know it, but that's all right if you don't. There was this preacher one Sunday morning, and on the way out the door, everybody was shaking hands and telling telling him, good job, and all this, that, and other. And one lady named Miss Brown come by, and she shook his hand, she said, she said, she said, brother, you're just a model preacher. You're just a model preacher. He just smiled. He said, well, thank you, Miss Brown. And on the way home in the car, he said, he said, honey, you know what Miss Brown said to me on the way out the door this morning? She said, what? He, he said, she said, you're just a model preacher. He said, wasn't that nice? She said, oh, that was pretty nice to her. And the next day, he, she was in her vacuum in the living room floor, and he came through. And he said, he said, baby, what's that, what that Miss Brown said about me yesterday? She said, she said, you're a model preacher. He said, wasn't that wonderful? And she said, yeah. About two or three days later, they was eating supper, and he said, Baby, what was that Miss Brown said about me last Sunday? She said, she said, you're the model preacher. He said, that was wonderful, wasn't it? She said, yes. Well, next time, he was, she's waiting for him. They was in the car on their way to church the following Sunday. And he, leaned, he looked over, and he said, Baby, what was that Miss Brown said about me last Sunday? She said, she said, use a model preacher, and I looked the definition of that up, and it means a small imitation of the real thing. <laughs> so, again, don't let yourself get blown up too full of ego there, because it really, it really, you're not what you think you are. And, again, especially those in a position of, of authority, uh, office of a pastor, a teacher, a leader in, in church, ought to always remember to remain humble and grounded in the Lord and not let, not let ego puff you up. Again, they seem to be somewhat. But we're going to find out different. Because guess what? Who are these men? Peter, James, and John. These are saved fishermen. These are not theological giants. These are saved fishermen who walked with the Lord for three years. I mean, they knew what Christ had taught them, 
and, and they knew what they'd learned since serving him since. And they were mature believers. There's no doubt about that. And they had an important office. And they were also greatly revered by the Jewish Christians. But I can tell you this, they were not over the Apostle Paul in authority. He spoke to them respectfully. He spoke to them in confidence, away from the public eye and the public ear. And he did this very wisely because, listen, it would have been a danger for him to do this publicly because, listen, he, what he's saying, a lot of them, I mean, a lot of people wouldn't like And if he'd have been against it, preach this in public, he might have been, he might have been killed. Because there are people that are zealous of the law, and that's what we're going to see here. He, this is a lesson for anybody who, in, in the ministry or anywhere else who's dealing with somebody who does not like what you've got to say and hates what you have to say. You've got to be careful when you're dealing with opposition. Jesus, son of told him, said, be, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Why? Because the devil is out to destroy you. That's why you need to do things the right way. There's a right way and a wrong way to do everything you do. But in Acts twenty one twenty, we hear this. It said, when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. So, again, he's telling, there's a bunch of people here in Jerusalem, and I know this is further on, but still, he's saying there were thousands there in Jerusalem which believed that Christ died on the cross and buried those in the grave, but they also are zealous for the law. They still feel like you've got to, they're the ones that Paul's problem is with. Because they're the ones who, who, are, who are trying to ruin his ministry. Some of the meanest people in the entire world are the people who teach that you can lose your salvation. Did you know that? I'm talking about those, I'm talking about those who teach that. Those are the legalist crowd. Those are the ones who tell you you can lose, you can lose your salvation for every little thing you do. Listen, there's plenty of there's plenty of denominations out there that teach that. Most of them do, by the way. Most of them teach you can lose your salvation. And what does that do? It makes you prideful of your good works. I'm not going to hell because I'm a good person. That's what they tell you. I do good things. I'm a good. I, I serve. Oh, I do that. They tell you all about their good works and how spiritual they are. I'm not going to name the denominations I'm referring to, but I think it wouldn't take a long, long, lot of thinking to, to figure it out. It's those that require you to do things besides believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. If you've got to add anything to it, then you are a legalist. You're adding anything. That's works. You're adding works to, the, to, to grace, and that, that, that nullifies it. It just destroys grace. Like I said, you put, you put cyanide in, a, in clear water. You've destroyed water. You may not have changed the color. You may not have changed the appearance, but you have destroyed the water because you've poisoned it. And you put works into grace, you have nullified grace. So Paul meets with Peter, James, and John. And what did he find out? What did he say? He said, they added nothing to me. What do you mean by that? Was he being rude when he said that? No, he wasn't. <laughs> but listen to what Galatians 1, 15 through 17 says. It says, he was given his testimony. He said, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Amen. He, he, he'd been doing that since birth. But listen, he called me by his grace. He did that <coughs> on the road to Damascus. <coughs> For what purpose? That he might, to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. 
Hey, he, he said, immediately, I conferred not with flesh and blood. I didn't get up and go talk to anybody. Neither went up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Again, they didn't add anything to him. Why? Because he didn't go to them. He didn't, they were his teachers. They didn't fill him in on everything. They didn't, they didn't uh, tie everything together for him. Who did that? Jesus did that. Jesus taught Paul. Paul didn't have to go learn from nobody else. Paul didn't have to go sit at anybody else's feet. But something you need to understand, the Apostle Paul was the smartest man in the room just about any place he was. This man was a brilliant genius when it came to the Word of God. He knew the, he knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards, inside and out. He had a pedigreed past, he had a family heritage, and he had the best religious education possible from the best teacher available, which was Gamaliel. He had zeal and religious fervor, so much so that it led him to murder and cruelly punish in order to protect what he believed. Okay? He was a legalist of the, of the furthest degree. You don't believe like I do, I'll kill you. That's the same way the Muslims are today. The, the radical Muslims. I know there's some who, who say they're not that way, but you wait till crunch time comes. They'll all be that way. But at him and they, and they said, there's no way that guy is going to ever do anything for God. But see, he's unlikely in man's eyes, but God prepared a gospel preaching machine. I'm going to tell you, he knew that book. He knew, Listen, he knew the Old Testament better than they did. So you take a man who had that much Bible knowledge of God's ways and God's dealings with man in the Old Testament, and all those pictures, all those types, all those foreshadowings that showed Christ ahead of time, but yet the Old Testament prophets couldn't understand it. God's showing Paul what was said. He's putting two and two together. Hey, he's a preaching machine now. Ain't nobody going to stop him. He was very unlikely in man's eyes, but he wasn't in God's. Some of the world's worst people become some of God's best preachers. God take a crooked stick and draw a straight line every time. I'm living proof of that. Verse 7, but contrary wise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me as the gospel of the circumcision was to Peter. He said, but contrary wise. He said, instead of, instead of Paul sitting down at their feet and learning from them, he presents his ministry to them and shares with them uh, both the results of how many people have been saved in this town and that town and this town and also the hardships that he had gone through along the way. And so this is kind of hard for them to, to, to not see what he's saying. In Acts fifteen twelve, it says that all the multitude, this is talking about what happened there. It says, then all the multitude kept silence. This is when he's speaking. This is just the Acts account of it. Then all the multitude kept silence, Peter, James, and John, and the rest. And they gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. They sat there and listened. Wow. Wow. That many really got saved in that town? Wow. Wow. They, they tried to kill y'all? Wow. They locked y'all up? Wow. Man. What a work God did. I mean, they were blown away by what God was doing. You know how it is when you hear somebody say, Man, we had a revival meeting. We had, we, had, we had five, six people get saved out there the other night. Man, that's great, wonderful. Praise God. When you hear stuff like that, it lifts your spirits. It did the same thing with Peter, James, and John. Paul didn't get nothing out of them, but they got something out of Paul. There was undeniable evidence that God was saving the Gentiles in droves. It was undeniable. 
They saw it. You see that? He said, but on the other hand, God opened their eyes. Listen, when something's real in the God, the Spirit of God will confirm it in your heart. If you're saved, he'll confirm it in you. He'll say, He'll show you in your, in your spirit. That's of God. When something isn't of God and you're a child of God, the Spirit of God say, whoa, hold up, back up from that. You don't need that. That's not right. Amen? The Spirit of God is not just sitting in there asleep. He's in there working and revealing God's will to you. And he will if you'll, if you'll read your Bible and, and ask him to help you along the way. The Holy Spirit will guide you. That's what he's there to do. God told you that in the Word. All right? So he said, the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me. Who's the uncircumcision? That's those who aren't Jews because the circumcision refers to the Jews. So Paul said that, that the gospel to the Gentiles was committed to me. Acts thirteen forty six through 48. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, it is was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, to the Jews, but seeing you put it from you, you said, we don't want it. Ye, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. He said, y'all don't want everlasting life. He said, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. You threw Jesus away, we'll take him where people want him. For so hath the Lord commanded us, again, God's will, saying, I set thee to be a light to the Gentiles, that they shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. Y'all ever see how small Jerusalem, Israel is compared to the rest of the world? Israel's tiny, speck on the map compared to the rest of the world. The whole rest of the world need to hear the gospel. Paul had a bigger ministry than the Jews, than Peter, James, and John by any stretch of the imagination. Acts twenty eight twenty eight. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. Amen. They received it gladly. Amen. I received it gladly. You received it gladly. Amen. Praise God for that. Romans eleven thirteen. For I speak unto you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify my office. I make a big deal out of it. Why? Because God sent me to do it. 1 Timothy 2, 7. Wherefore, I am ordained a preacher, an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity, or it means truth. So again, God committed this ministry to him. And again, he's having a tax coming in right and left. So he goes there to try to get some help and try to get this thing straightened out. He said, and the gospel was committed to me to the Gentiles just as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. So the gospel of the circumcision, now, I don't want you to think for some reason that there are two different gospels there, because there's not. You know, I, like I said, Richard, he's half Jewish, but when Richard got saved, he didn't get saved some different salvation than we got. He got the same one we got. His daddy got the same one we got. Any Jew gets saved today the same way we get saved today. They get saved by believing that Jesus died, was buried, rose from the grave. They trust that that was the payment for their sins, and if they believe that and believe on him, they're saved. But what he's saying here, the gospel of the circumcision, he's saying Peter went to the Jews, I went to the Gentiles. Okay? But here's the thing. I'm going to throw this at you real quick. you got to put your thinking cap on and catch what I'm going to say. All right? Even though Peter, Peter was the apostle to the, to, the, to the circumcision or to the Jewish people, even though he preached to the Gentiles, in 38 A.D., before, or about the same time that Paul and Barnabas had gone out on their first journey. If you remember, he was down at Simon's house, and he was told, that, hey, listen, he, about, he was up there sleeping on the rooftop. You remember the vision where the sheep came down and all those unclean animals were in it? And God told him, he said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. 
All right? And he said, oh, no, no, Lord, off my youth, I'm not eating anything unclean. And, and God told him, again, he showed it to him again, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And about that time, those men arrived from Joppa and told him, well, come over and preach for us, preach to us. And so he went to Cornelius' house, and Cornelius is there. And again, Cornelius is a Gentile man, and he's got a bunch of Italian soldiers there. They're there in his house, and they're all Gentiles. So Peter's there showing up with a bunch of Gentiles. He's like a fish out of water. He's a man out of place as he can be. And what does he do? He, the Bible says here in Acts 10, 34 through 48, listen, it's a little bit of Scripture, but listen to what I'm going to say to you. This is important. I'm going to get this wrapped up, and we'll go to the house. All right, Acts 13, 34 through 48. Then Peter opened his mouth, and he said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto all the, unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say ye know throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. So he's telling them about Jesus' uh, Jesus' baptism and his ministry. And we are witnesses. He said, we saw it. We're witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. Up to this point, what has he done? He has preached that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Even though these people are not Jews, he's doing it the way he knew to do it. He preached, he told them Jesus is the Messiah, that's who he is, and then he told him what he has done. They slew him, they hanged him on a tree, God, God raised him up the third day. All right, so he's preached that he is Christ, he's the Messiah, and he is the sacrifice. Not to all the people, but to the witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead, he commanded us to preach unto the people and testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. You believe on Christ, you get forgiven. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. What did that mean? Holy Ghost fell on Well, I'm going to tell you something. I remember when the Holy Ghost fell on me. I was brushing my teeth when the Holy Ghost fell on me. You know what the Holy Ghost did when he fell on me? Flayed me. Does that mean I fell on the floor and flop and flip and flop? No. What does that mean? He, he got me. I, I, the Word of God, it's like a two-edged sword. It's dividing even the soul and the spirit. What did he do? He hit me with conviction, and I realized I, was, I had sinned against the Holy God. It was as though he fell upon me like a soldier, slaying me with that sword of the spirit. That's what happened to those men that day. There wasn't no charismatic free-for-all. No, they got under deep conviction when Peter preached that Christ was the one. He was the one that came. He was the one that died. He's the one that rose from the grave. He is the only Savior. The Bible said the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision. So there were Jews with Peter there which believed, and they were astonished. They couldn't believe it. As many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then, okay, hold on. Whoa, whoa. They spoke with tongues. Wait a minute. They were Italian. 
Peter's not Italian, is he? Peter don't speak Italian. He heard them praising God, but he heard them doing it in Latin. So did he understand what they were saying? But he knew they were praising God. He heard them speak with tongues and praising God. That's all that means. He heard them speak a different language, praising God. He knew that they had gotten saved because obviously there was joy of the Holy Spirit in their life. Okay? Then asked, so what did Peter say? Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized? which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. When does a person receive the Holy Spirit? The moment they trust Christ, am I right? They don't wait until you get baptized. Come in, does No. comes in the moment you get saved. Okay? So that's what happened there. Then he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. They prayed. They carry certain days. Y'all stay with us a while. Okay? So notice the order of the events here. Again, I told you it's going to be teaching this morning. And I really want you to get this. This is this is important you see this. <clears throat> Notice the order of the events. They heard the word. The Holy Ghost fell on them. Conviction. They got convicted after they heard the word. They believed and received the Holy Ghost to God. They believed on Christ, and the Holy Spirit came in. They rejoiced, and they praised God in Latin, and they were baptized. All right? Now, that's far different than what happened on the day of Pentecost, five years before preaching to the Jews who had crucified Jesus. Now listen to this. On the day of Pentecost, what happened? Peter preached. And they, he preached to them that they had crucified the Lord of glory. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? What did he say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, they weren't a Gentile in the bunch that day. Not a single Gentile was there on the death They were all Jews, proselytes and Jews, all of them Jewish. All right? And again, they heard Peter preach the word of God. And what did they do? They repented. They got under conviction. They repented. But they got baptized right after that. After they got baptized, then they received the Holy Ghost of God. That's out of order. Did God make a mistake that day? No. But do you know that nobody outside of Acts 2.38 ever got saved that way again? That's the only time in the Bible that ever happened that way? You say, why? Why did God do it that way? I don't know why God did it that way, but it had something to do with them being Jewish. It had something to do with John's baptism. I think it had something to do with them acknowledging that he was the Messiah before they believed on him. I don't know exactly why it happened that way, but I can tell you this. It was because they were Jews, and it was because of that special occasion, and it won't ever happen that way again. And you know what? You take the Samaritans. After after that, the Samaritans, they didn't have the Holy Spirit even after they got baptized until the apostles laid their hands on them. Acts chapter 8, 14 through 17. Now when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. The Bible said they'd already received the word of God. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Why did they have that way? I don't know. Can you tell you? Honestly, don't know. But does that matter to me and you right now? No. Acts 19, 1 through 6, the disciple of John the Baptist. 
And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said to them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We've not so much heard as there be any Holy Ghost. Then he said unto them, Well, under what then were you baptized? Why did you get baptized? And they said, Under John's baptism. So all they understood was that the Messiah was coming. And he said unto, he said unto them, Okay, well, were you baptized? It's okay. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying that the, under the people that they should believe on him, they should come after him, which is Jesus Christ Jesus. In other words, he's preaching he's the coming Messiah. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord. Why? Because they heard it, and they said, oh, we're supposed to believe on him as our Savior. He, got, he died, was buried most in the grave, and then they baptized. Okay? Then they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul laid his hand on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. All right. Now, again, these are people from other places. You say, what, what does that mean, preacher? It's got us all confused and mixed up. I'm going to tell you something. God was transitioning from, from a system whereby they were taught by the law to a system of grace. And in the meantime, God dealt differently with different ethnic groups down through that time. But when he got to the Gentile people, he showed Paul, listen, all they've got to do is believe that he died, that he was buried, and that he rose from the grave. That's all they've got to remember. That's all they've got to say. That's all they've got to know. Neither you nor I are first century Jews or first century Samaritans. So don't worry about what they did in that verse there in Acts. That ain't referring to you. You and I are Gentiles, like I said. And there is no telling how many people are going to go to hell trusting their baptism. There's no telling how many people are going to go to hell trusting the fact that they spoke in tongues at an altar. They're going to burn in hell forever thinking they were saved by trusting something else other than the Lord Jesus Christ. In this dispensation of grace, there is only one way to be saved, and that is believing that Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the grave, just as the Bible said he would do, for your sins. And you trust him and believe on him, and you can have salvation. But listen, the gospel that Peter preached after this message, after, I'm sorry, after this meeting, after Paul and Barnabas, after Paul and Barnabas went and met with them, he changed his whole tune. Listen, 2 Peter 3, 14 through 16. Wherefore, beloved, this is Peter, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be founded of him in peace, without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, they wrestle with it, as do they also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. It was hard for some of the Jews to wrap their head around the fact they didn't have to work their way to heaven. They were having a hard time dealing with that. They, they'd been wrapped up in the law for so long. And again, Peter is the Gentile. He, he's the uh, he's the uh, the apostle to the Jews. So again, of course, he's speaking to them. But he's you see him here. He's changed his tune. He's in accord with what Paul has said. Verse eight: For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. So he's talking about God working mighty in Peter. Uh, 
to the apostleship of the circumcision, to him being the Jews' apostle. And by the way, Peter was not the first pope, even though the Catholic Church claims he was the first pope. He was not the first pope. He wasn't any pope for that matter. Peter was never in Rome. Romans 16, at the end of it, there in chapter 16, verses 21 through 23, Paul is given a list of people who are there working with him <coughs> in Rome. Timotheus, my work fellow, and Lucius and Jason, and Sosipater, my kinsman, salute you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, he wrote did the handwriting for Paul, salute you in the Lord. Gaius, mine host, the guy that we're staying with, and of the whole church saluteth you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you. And Quartus, a brother. If Peter was the first pope, he wasn't there, by the way. If Peter was the first pope, where is the love for the Jews in the Catholic Church? They don't love the Jews. If you've never heard of the term replacement theology, you ought to look into that. That's the teaching that the Catholic Church has, that the Catholic Church has somehow replaced the Jews as God's chosen people. They teach that. That is a real doctrine that they teach, replacement theology. Now, let me ask you this. If Peter was the first pope, knowing that he is the apostle to the circumcision, don't you think that the Catholic Church would be a little more favorable toward the Jews? Amen. Replacement theology is not love at all. Amen. It's hatred. And God's, I mean, you think that through history. Not, the Nazis work with the Catholic Church uh, against the Jews. There's no way in this world that you're going to tell me that the Catholic Church has any love with the Jewish people. And there's no way Peter was ever associated with it. So, God's focus shifts in the Bible to the ministry of Paul. And, and even though God, God greatly used Peter, and Paul verified that, he says the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. I mean, it was obvious that God was doing powerful things to Paul and Barnabas, as he had through Peter. And God was challenging their old prejudices, as he had done with Peter. In Acts 10, 28, I like what this says. This verse has always been one I brought out and preached. It says, and he said unto them, you know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that's a Jew to keep company or to come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. God says, don't, don't, don't you look at somebody else and say, they're not worthy of me. Don't look at them and say, I, I wouldn't talk to somebody like that. There's a lot of people that are different from us. There's a lot of people that look different from us. Their skin tone's different. Their hair's different. Their culture's different. Their habits are different. The, 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 the things they do are different. But that doesn't make one of us better than the other. Say something. We, you know, I, and, I, and I think the media overblows the whole white supremacist thing in America. I don't see that in America like, like once existed. Is there racism in America? Sure there is. There's always going to be, as long as there's sin, as long as there's, as long as there's, there's, there's evil, there's going to be racism. <clears throat> but you know what? God, God sent Paul to a people who were totally hated by the Jews, loathed and despised. They were the, the again, they spit in their direction. They were, the Bible, refer, Jesus, Jesus referred to the Gentiles as dogs when he talked about the Jews. The woman who came to him, uh, and that's what the Jews looked at them. They looked at them like they were dogs. They were lower lower than anything. And uh, but let me tell you something. 
God is not God is not for us as Christians looking at other people and saying we're too good to witness to them. I learned something a long time ago. I was sitting in the McDonald's one Saturday morning with a friend of mine named Willie Rogers. He's a, he's a black Marine from down in Atlanta, Georgia. We were in Bible college together. Willie's one of the finest men I knew back then. And uh, we were sitting across from McDonald's breakfast one another, and he was giving me some wisdom one day. And uh, I, mean, I talked to him just the other day online, and I told him, I said, you gave me some wisdom one day. He never forgot it. He said, ain't no telling what I told you. But this is what he told me. He said, he said, you know, it's kind of funny. He said, but I can go down in the black part of town and knock on doors. He said, and they'll laugh me off the porch. He said, because I'm just another black dude to them. And what are you doing up on my porch, man? He said, but if I can go over in the white neighborhood, I knock on the door. They go, hey, honey, there's a black man out there on the porch. Let's figure out what do you want. You know, it, it, they're interested. Why is he in our neighborhood? What's he doing in my porch? What's he What's he here for me for? He said the same thing happens when a white man goes into a black neighborhood. What's he doing out there in this neighborhood? You lost? You know, they want to know why this man, again, you have their attention. Somebody who seems out of place is on my doorstep. Okay? What does that tell that person when they find out why they're there? This person really cares. Or they wouldn't be here. When we when we go to somebody else and step outside of our comfort zone to get where they're at, whether we're stepping down, up, or sideways, matters not. We are meeting somebody where they live. What did Paul say? I'm become all things to all men, but I may by any means save some. We are to be that way. What he told me, he said that that white man will listen to me because why? I'm standing out here making sense on his front porch, and he can't believe I got this much Bible knowledge. He's he's blown away by what I'm sharing with him. He said that 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 black man, that black man, will say, why is this white man out here sharing all this with me? They don't understand why you're there, but you know what? They see it's love, it's compassion. He said, and because of that reason, you'll have more success in that part of town. I'll have more success in that part of town. And what is he saying? God sends us to people, amen, not just to people who look exactly like us. God sends us to people because everybody needs Jesus, and we should never let let prejudice stand in the way of somebody getting saved. Amen. I'm finishing up. Verse 9. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, again, they seemed to be somewhat, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. All right? Now, Peter made that statement about not calling any man common or unclean in A.D. 38. So here he is. Here he is all these years later in A.D. 52 when this is taking place. All right? And he's standing there amongst them. And what did he do? What did he do? They, they perceived that the grace of God was given unto him. They seemed to be pillars, and that's just figurative language, because pillars are posts, but they seemed to be those who were upholding the church, those who were keeping everything going, and that's what that means, just figurative language, and they were of great value to the church. These things were revealed to them by the Spirit of God. God showed them that Paul's not just blowing smoke at you. He's He's really for real. He's really sincere. And again, I give you 2 Peter 3.15 where Paul says, even as our beloved brother Paul, he, he realizes this is a man of God. He's not just somebody who's come up here trying to impress us. This is God's man. He said they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship. They recognized Paul. He's a fellow apostle. They recognized that. And also that the gospel that he preached by special revelation of Christ to the Gentiles, they realized, hey, 
He's not preaching anything different than we are. We're preaching that Christ died, was buried, and rose from the grave. He's preaching the very same thing. We're preaching the same gospel. Again, the God, the Jews in, 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 in Israel and the Jews in, in Europe and, and Asia Minor, they, they got saved by the same Jesus. They got saved by the same gospel. They got the same Holy Spirit living in them. Amen? That we're all in the same family. That's why the Bible tells us a little later on that there's neither Jew nor Greek. Amen? We're all one in Christ. They gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. Amen. They said they said we we we're joining you in this effort. That's like laying hands on them, and they, they said, "Listen, we're, when, and what happens when somebody gets saved and gets baptized? Here? We get up one by one, we go around, and we give them the right hand of Christian fellowship. What are we saying? We're yoking together with you. We're in this together. You got my back, I got yours, and, and the Lord's got all of us. We're in this together, and that's exactly what they said to Paul. Hey. Paul, Barnabas, we're in this together. We're reaching people for Jesus together. That we should go under the heathen, and they should go under the circumcision. Though Paul, like I said, though Paul makes it clear, to the weak I became as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Paul said, I may be the Gentile apostle, but I'll try to win them all. He went to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In verse ten, and we're done. Only that they would should do. Only that they. I'm sorry. Let me back it up. Only that we. I can't read. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. They said, "Y'all just be sure and don't forget about these poor folks back here in Jerusalem. These folks here. Listen, they've left everything for Jesus, and realize that to be a Jewish Christian, you lost everything." To be a Christian in, 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 in Israel during that time, it meant your family disowned you. It still does to this day. If you were an Orthodox Jew and you come to Christ, your family will disown you as though you're dead. They won't have you over at their house ever again. You're cut off as though you've never lived. They'll throw you away. That's how much they hate Jesus. So to become a Christian, you had to leave everything to come to Christ. You and I, we don't, we don't, we don't realize that sacrifice most of the time. We don't really don't understand what it's like to leave all to come to Christ. But they did. They did. And they said, please remember, they haven't got anything. They've only got each other. And we're trying. And, again, they were taking up collections to make sure that people ate and had things to live. Because, again, they had nobody. They had nothing. And Paul said the same. I also was forward to do. Why? Because he had a loving heart and he knew the Lord Jesus and he had compassion for his people, the Jews. Matter of fact, Paul said he would, he would have gladly died and went to hell if they had got saved. That's how much he loved him. He never forgot his brethren, the Jews. And matter of fact, he said, I've, I was already forward to do it. He'd already begun collecting money for, for them. Listen, when you got a heart for God, you think about others. Don't forget that. As, as we go into season of Thanksgiving and, and gift-giving and all the things, don't forget. It's not about you. It's about others. And what's the most important gift anybody can get? That's Jesus. And anything you can think about to buy them means nothing if they don't have the greatest gift of all. So I urge you, be a witness. Have a, have a heart like, like, like Paul did. Have a heart like, like Barnabas did. And want to see people around you saved and not be complacent and be just okay to just let the world keep going and people drop off into hell one by one. We need to realize Christ is coming. The time is short. And we have got to take this gospel, this gospel that saves, this gospel that, that, that changes it, that, that cleanses, 
that redeems, that saves. We need to take it and give it to those who are drowning in sin. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening. We're going to have a song of invitation. And if the Lord has spoken to you this morning, listen. God may be calling somebody in this room to do something to God. Maybe he's not calling a preacher. Maybe he's calling you to do something. Maybe he's showing you a burden for somebody around you, for, for some people that are close to you that need some help, that need somebody to be a comfort to them, somebody to instruct them and lead them in, in proper uh, doctrinal issues. Hey, listen, you understand what I taught you this morning. You can tell all kinds of people. If you understand what I showed you this morning, you you got more knowledge than most Christians out there. Most Christians are still tangled up as to what they even believe because they've been told so many things by so many different people. Take what God has showed you and use it for his glory this morning. What number are we singing, sister? What's, what number are we singing? Oh, 65. Number 65. Number 65. Let's sing this morning. Let's pray before we do. Father, I pray, Lord, you bless the invitation time. Bless each one that's here. Holy Spirit, show us in our hearts what you want us to do. Lord, personally, lay it on our hearts. If there's something that you're drawing us to do, make it clear this morning. Lord God, I just pray you just have your way in our lives. Guide us, Lord, in, in what we ought to be for you. Lord, that, that we please you. Lord, that we have your favor in our lives. Lord God, please help us to be a help to others. And Lord, I pray you have your way to invitation now and pray in Jesus. Amen. Number 65. song says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I'm not prone to I'm not prone to worship. I'm not prone to pray. I'm not prone to serve. I'm prone to fall down. And that's why I need him so much. I want to close with this thought. I had a moment yesterday. Silly moment. I had a moment yesterday where, you know, you have a song run through your head and it, sometimes it just touch you emotionally. And, and it had a song hit me out of nowhere. I don't even know why I'm sharing this, but I'm going to share it. And it was an old country song I heard when I was probably in my 20s. Most of y'all probably remember hearing it along the way somewhere. It was by a guy named Billy Dean. It was called Billy the Kid. And there's a slide. He said, he said I miss Billy the Kid, the things, uh, the times that we had, the life that we lived. And I started getting nostalgic for my childhood and thinking back and, and missing people and this, that, and the other. And I was thinking about how much things was better when I was a kid. And all of a sudden, God just said, you was rotten. 
and he started reminding me of all the terrible things that I did when I was a kid. And it didn't take but about 10 seconds, and I'm boohooing at the kitchen sink, begging God to forgive me for such a louse that I've been all my life. You know, we, we rose-colored glasses. We look back on our life with rose-colored glasses. But if we'd really take an honest look, we'd see that we needed God so desperately all the way, and we wouldn't have made it an inch without him. And regardless of how good all those old times may seem and we look back on how we were, listen, we still needed God. We don't look back and paint it like it wasn't. We need to look at it like it was. If it wouldn't been for God, we wouldn't have made it this far, and we ought to give him glory for every step. Amen? Them good old days wasn't good old days because of anything other than God in our life and God everywhere else. And we live in a world today that seemingly has forgotten God, and we need to proclaim him at the top of our lungs if you ever want your surroundings to resemble the good old days. Get good with God, and everything will get a lot better. Amen. I just thought I'd share that with you this morning before we go to the house. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask God to bless us, take care of us as we go. And uh, Robert, this is
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.